You're listening to Season 6, Episode Number 8 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I spend time specifically speaking to pastors and helping them think through what it means to develop an apostolic imagination in both their lives and in their local churches. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Well, welcome back to another episode of Strike the Match. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Uh, We're going to continue in the uh, series that I've been doing in this season six on the apostolic imagination in just a second, but I want to begin by just saying a word of thanks to each of you that listen uh, to uh, to me talk on this microphone, and uh, and an extra word of thanks to you that share these uh, resources with others in your social networks. Um, I am very limited in what I can do, and so uh, greatly appreciate uh, you taking uh, time to pass these uh, podcasts along to those that you know of that would be of um, uh, of benefit, or those that you know of that would find benefit to these episodes. So thank you so much. I, I truly, truly appreciate that. I wish I could send each of you a thank you letter, but that uh, is uh, something that I'm unable to do. But um, but my word of appreciation, I hope, is is sufficient uh, during this time. So. Today, topic, apostolic imagination, a word to pastors. Apostolic imagination, a word to pastors. So um, when I finished writing uh, apostolic imagination, um, I did not want the book to conclude with your typical conclusion, just written to the general audience. I wanted to put something in this book that would be specific to pastors, and there is a, a reason for that, and I'll share that a little bit more in just a second. But I thought it would be very appropriate to um, spend some time today on this episode, uh, primarily directing uh, this podcast to uh, pastors that are listening uh, now. So over the past uh, several episodes in season six, I have been doing this series titled The Apostolic Imagination and addressing various components of, uh, of my book uh, by the same title. And so uh, we have talked about a variety of things when it comes to rethinking uh, modern-day missions. And so in this episode, I want to spend some time sharing 14 suggestions. <laughs> I know 14 sounds like a, sounds like a lot. Um, I'll try to go, go fairly quickly through these. But I want to share 14 suggestions to pastors that I hope will be helpful as they lead their congregations uh, to develop an apostolic imagination that will result in sending teams uh, to their cities across their countries and, and throughout the world. You see, if I haven't already said, I think I've already said that, I've already, excuse me, I think I've already said this uh, in this uh, season, and that is... A significant part of my calling to ministry and practical experience in ministry has been to pastoral ministry. And so I I have spent uh, almost two decades, uh, just a little over 19 years, 
in pastoral roles. Um, I have served congregations that have been uh, structured and modeled in a more traditional format. uh, from uh, from that model, that structure, to house church model, cell church model, um, mega church model. Uh, I have pastored churches in Kentucky, Indiana, Alabama. I have worked with churches that uh, have been around for, for many years, as well as churches that uh, were, were brand new, um, just you know, planted within a, a, a very, very short time before, before my arrival. And so I say all that to say to pastors that are listening out there, I feel like uh, I have a good perspective on pastoral ministry, uh, specifically within um, the United States. And, and so when I speak, when I talk about this concept, the apostolic imagination, and when I, when I write or when I wrote this book, I'm not writing from the perspective of many of the people that I'm desiring to see sent out and engage the unreached uh, across our city and continent and throughout the world, but but rather, I I'm writing primarily from the from the perspective of one within the established church context, and so I'm trying to speak from that perspective today to pastors as they listen to to this podcast, and I'm hoping that also over the years uh, of the. Um, of the time that I've been able to work with and train uh, church planters and various other uh, teams that have gone to work among unreached people groups, and, and that that time period is um, that's, that's approaching also about 20 years, a little over 20 years as well. And so I'm hoping that even though my calling, my wiring, my gift mix um, isn't like those folks uh, that are out there on the front lines that are going to unreached peoples, um, I'm hoping that I have walked closely enough with them over the uh, the past couple of decades that I am able to to at least represent them well to a pastoral audience to help we pastors think about what it means to to raise up, to assess, to equip, to send, to partner with those that our churches will be uh, laying hands on and seeing go to the nations. So kind of with that, the, with that as sort of introductory backstory, let me just go ahead and jump in at this point. And so, so pastors, and I'll try to, to speak specifically uh, to you instead of in more of a, more of a third-person kind of concept, um, but we'll sort of speak term, in terms of the, the pastor or pastors that are out there. And by the way, if your church tradition does not like that language and you prefer the language of elder or elders or overseer, that is, that is fine. That's, those are the groups that I have in mind. I, I see those words interchangeably in the biblical text. So whether your tradition is pastor or elder or overseer, uh, for me, they, they, are, they are synonymous with one another uh, when it comes to looking at it from a biblical perspective. I know that church traditions are different, but from a first century perspective, I see no uh, difference between those. So shepherding a church to apostolic labors is, for the most part, a foreign practice for most pastors. Um, Ministry-related thoughts and activities, including global disciple-making, have traditionally been understood in view of the pastoral. Such tradition, however, uh, should not have the final say. And I think that's very important. Um, While pastors are to equip their people for the field, they also need to develop an apostolic imagination 
to complement their pastoral ministries. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about the pastoral hegemony. Uh, it was in the episode related to rethinking the West. And the reality is, is that uh, the way we have come to think about ministry and the way we've come to think about reaching the unreached people groups of the world is primarily through a pastoral filter. It's primarily through a pastoral approach, a pastoral imagination. And as a result of that, our ministry framework is pastoral by necessity, of course, and therefore much of what we as pastors do and expect is is put through that context. And I would say, while that is very healthy and very much expected for established church ministry and established church context, whereby, or whenever we find ourselves in context with unreached people groups, especially those that require uh, crossing a significant cultural gap in order to engage them, make disciples, and plant churches among them, then the need to think apostolically uh, has to has to come to the forefront. So when I talk about pastors and developing an apostolic imagination, I, I see it as something to complement your pastoral ministry, not something to uh, negate or to... Um, to override your pastoral ministry. So number one, so I said there there are 14 things I wanted to mention to you. Here's number one. Number one, pastors, I want you, when it comes to developing an apostolic imagination and helping your church develop an apostolic imagination, number one, I want you to remain a pastor. I want you to remain a pastor. Um, Sometimes when I talk about the topics that I've talked about in uh, this season and that I have written about in uh, Apostolic Imagination, um, pastors will sometimes come to me and they'll say, hey, J.D., should I change my ministry direction and travel to the other side of the world and lead an apostolic team? And while I think that there are some pastors that they they should take that tra- they should make that transition, uh, I think for most of you, uh, the answer is no. I think for most of you, uh, that is not the case. And so I want the burden to reside within your heart. And if the Holy Spirit has called you to be an elder of an established church, then, then do not change that ministry. Take great delight in pastoral ministry. Remain in your calling. Equip your church. Send apostolic teams to unreached peoples. Much of overcoming the challenge of reaching the unreached is not for pastors to give up their callings, but for pastors to be pastors. Pastors have one of the most important roles to play in making disciples of all nations. This is, this is a belief that I have and what drove me to, to wrap my book up, to conclude my book with a word to pastors and to take time to put this episode into this season. So a century ago, um, John Mott made this very important statement. He, he expressed the urgency and significance of pastoral leadership to reaching the unreached. So Mott, not John Stott, but John Mott, John Mott made the following statements, and I think his words are as relevant then as now, and he, and he made these statements back in 1904, so his language reflects that time. He basically says this in his book, The Pastor and Modern Missions, quote, the secret of enabling the home church to press her advantage in the non-Christian world is one of leadership. The people do not go beyond their leaders in knowledge and zeal, nor surpass them in consecration and sacrifice. The Christian pastor, minister, rector, whatever he may be denominated, holds the divinely appointed office for inspiring and guiding the thought and activities of the church, end quote. And I think Ma is exactly right. 
the role of you in your ministry is incredibly significant, and rare is the church that will surpass uh, her pastoral leadership when it comes to going to the nations. Number two, second thing I want you to think about when it comes to developing an apostolic imagination and leading your church to do likewise is, number two, function pastorally, think apostolically. Function pastorally, think apostolically. So future, excuse me. So few pastors have developed an apostolic imagination, and so this is obviously one of the reasons why I wrote this book, and have uh, been doing this this series. Many pastors may have the conviction of reaching the nations, able to preach on the topic, and know global disciple making is important, but they often lack the apostolic experience, clearly because they're not called in that direction, and because of this, we as leaders we often default to our experience. So for pastors, what does this mean? It means that it means that apostolic ministry is understood and expected to be carried out by a pastoral approach. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's, it's, it's filtered through a pastoral imagination because that's all that we know. And so therefore, we're calling people to do things, and the only point of reference we have is our point of reference. And so we've got to understand, pastors, that we need to function pastorally, but we've got to think apostolically. The apostolic mindset and the pastoral mindset they operate from two different paradigms of ministry. They don't conflict with one another. They complement one another in the body of Christ. They just operate differently. So the mind of the pastor is rightly on the established church. Such ministry is complex in nature. The apostolic imagination has a pastoral bent, but operates initially in the context of no believers, no churches, no church structures. So such ministry is simple in nature, and it consists primarily of basic tasks. The apostolic imagination sees ministry among one church as temporal, with planned role changes. Strategy is developed to begin the ministry with the end in mind for contextualized leaders to become the overseers, not for the church planters to become the overseers, but rather the people today that are in the fields of lostness, the apostolic team sees those people with a future in which they are shepherding, they are the overseers, they are the elders, they are the pastors of new congregations. Different approach, different perspective. Third thing that I think is critical for our ministry in this direction, and that is we must pray pray, pray. You know, leading your church to send apostolic teams requires much prayer and fasting. Uh, in all likelihood, this is going to be a paradigm shift for you. It's going to be a paradigm shift for your church. And so therefore, I would say the significance of prayer, seeking the Lord's guidance, fasting in this time of making this transition is going to be significant to the work that you do in your ministry wherever you are serving. Number four, the fourth thing I think is important, we need to put away what I call the wrecking ball. Put away the wrecking ball. So it kind of, kind of goes like this. Pastors will often catch a vision for something exciting and something new, uh, something that they have been wanting to do for some time, but maybe they did not know how to articulate it, and someone comes along with this new idea, this new thought, this new concept, this new book, this new podcast, and, and, they, and they get really fired up about it. And so they go into their ministry context, and with a wrecking ball, they completely destroy and knock things down. And so I would say do not do that. Um, in his book, Structured for Mission, Alan Roxburgh 
he makes he makes a great statement. He says the radical overthrow of deeply embedded ways of life results in profoundly destructive consequences for the great masses of ordinary people caught in the ideologies of change. What's he mean with all those big words? He basically is saying this. If you have people that are deeply locked into a particular paradigm or model, and then we as pastors go in and radically overthrow that, radically overhaul that, and it's deeply embedded in, in their life, in their walk with the Lord, then many of them will have no idea of where to go, what to do, how to move forward. In other words, the the Spirit has spent many years working through a particular paradigm to sanctify those people. And for many people, when you jerk the carpet from out underneath their feet, they collapse, they fall down. Some people will be able to stand on their feet, yes, and they'll continue on. But for many, they will not do so. And so I would say part of leading your church into this direction and developing an apostolic imagination and sending out such teams is not to go in with a wrecking ball and destroy things, but to do a couple of things. One, lead for change, which we'll talk about as I move through this, but at the same time, continue to cast vision uh, for that which is established to make adjustments, and those adjustments will possibly and probably need to be adjusted slowly over time, but also to pilot new things, to try new things, to try something new with an apostolic team and allow that team to be able to sent out, be sent out and allow that team to be able to speak back into the established church so that the church can begin to see uh, the possibility of a future with more engagement at the apostolic type of level. Number five, fifth thing, prepare for conflict. I mean, I, I almost feel like I don't even have to say that, but I think if I didn't, I would be accused of, of being naive. I mean, conflict is inevitable. As you know, pastors, you know, anytime any sort of change is happening, even at the minuscule level, at least from our perspective, uh, there's going to be that conflict. There's going to be uh, tensions that are there. So you need to anticipate those. Anticipate those tensions. They're going to rise humbly, but with conviction. You know, lead for change. Be patient and give the church time to catch the vision. The Lord, the Lord has been patient with you and has, has given you time to obtain a vision uh, and change your perspective. You'll do the same with your church as well. Uh, number six, know your church family. Know your church family. If your church has never sent apostolic teams or individuals to serve with other apostolic teams, it may take a while to create a culture that prays for and expects such actions. Knowing the church's general passions, values, vision, leaders, and organization is critical to leading your people across the bridge and into the world of unreached peoples. So if your church has never gone down this path before, you're going to have to recognize that there's probably going to be a, a period of time uh, involved that is not that is going to be longer than you anticipate, longer than you desire. Maybe I should say that, longer than you want to happen. But I would say know your church family so that you can understand how best to create an atmosphere of expectation and move from where you are to where you sense that the Lord is leading you to go. And that kind of ties in with number seven. So number seven. Lead with the scriptures. Lead with the scriptures. Above all, your people have to understand that the vision for such ministry comes from the scriptures. It's not coming from you and something that you 
caught over the weekend. What does God have to say about His mission? The church needs to have that big picture of Genesis through Revelation, understanding the mission of God. In your expositional preaching, make certain that a missional hermeneutic comes through in your outline, in your points, in your words. Now, in no way am I saying that what you are uh, to do is to force something onto the text. I'm not saying that at all. Rather, just as we should preach the text and to quote our brother Spurgeon, always make a beeline to the cross, we should make certain that we always point out along the way to the cross that if it were not for God's apostolic mission, then there would be no cross at the end of that beeline. No offense, Spurgeon. In other words, we have got to help our people to understand that the fact that we approach the text and the fact that our preaching is Christocentric, at the same time, it is apostolic. In other words, without the apostolic God who sends himself into a broken creation to redeem and restore, there is no cross, there is no church, there is no Sunday morning worship gathering or that fellowship body that your people are a part of throughout the week. So we, got to, we have got to lead with the scriptures in helping our people to understand the situation, and the direction to go. Number eight, we've got to teach the difference between cultural preferences and biblical requirements. We've got to teach the difference between biblical, or excuse me, cultural preferences and biblical requirements. This is going to take some courage, pastors, and that is you're going to have to have the courage to return to the scriptures and evaluate your church's ecclesiology, and you're going to need to ask your people to recognize that there is quite often a difference between cultural preferences and biblical requirements. It doesn't mean that the church is wrong, the church is sinning, that's not, that's not the point. Um, it doesn't mean that at all. Now, it could be, could very well be the case, but we need to ask our people, what are the biblical requirements for any local church to be a local church? You know, assist the church in understanding the differences between biblical prescriptions and cultural preferences. If you don't, it is going to be difficult to bring about a paradigm shift because in all likelihood, I'm willing to, to, I'm not a gambling man, but I'm willing to wager. In all likelihood, I think a great deal of why churches are not moving in the direction of apostolic-type ministry, I think a great deal of it is because of cultural preference. In other words, there's a tradition. We're locked into it. We have a blind, a set of blinders on, and we believe that everything we're doing is everything that should always be done and that there's really nothing significant beyond that. And I would say that because there is so much cultural preference that we're overlooking some of the biblical requirements. And folks, I will tell you what, and I know I'm preaching to the choir pastors, but um, you know, shifting those cultural preferences, that's going to be a tough, tough situation in many, many local churches that, that you're, you're serving and that you're part of, because we have we have often equated cultural preference with biblical prescription. And we're going to have to help our people recognize that that is not, that that is not necessarily the case. It doesn't mean that your church has to make complete overhaul of cultural preferences and tradition. Not at all. You don't have to do that at all. But we have to recognize if, if indeed, such preferences, if traditions are interfering with the church, carrying out the mission of God in the world, as a wise steward, then maybe we need to begin to say, okay, um, we came out of, if you're Protestant, I'm assuming you're Protestant listening to this, 
Um, if we came out of a reformation and we're always in the process of reforming and asking, is there a more excellent way, then we need to do the same with our cultural preferences and traditions today. And in some cases, many cases, uh, we need to make some adjustments. We need to make some changes in the process of always being reforming. Number nine, number nine, we have got to set the example at least short term. So pastors, your example is powerful. What you say about reaching unreached peoples is cherished, but what you do makes an impact, makes a lasting impact. And so I would encourage you, if you are um, not practicing this, of course, I know I recognize right now with the global pandemic, this is problematic, but I would say begin to make an annual practice of going on um, short-term trips where you're doing intercultural engagement among an unreached people group. And I would say start in your start in your own local town, start in your own local community. Even in many small towns in the United States, there are unreached people groups that have migrated. And so take your people with you. Let them hear your stories. Let them see your example and your model of going across town and across the world. Number 10, regularly describe global lostness. Regularly describe global lostness. Closely connected to your understanding of unreached people groups in your city, across the country and throughout the world is the importance of communicating those spiritual needs to your church. Most church members are unaware of the size of the global unreached population. And even if they are aware of unreached people groups throughout the world, I would venture to say that most church members are unaware of such lostness that exists within their own country. Um, The United States, you've heard me say this before on this podcast, you've read this in my writings before, if you've followed me any on my blog. The United States is home to the third largest number of unreached people groups in the world. The third largest number of unreached people groups in the world. I would say most church members have no idea about that. And quite possibly most of you, well maybe I shouldn't say most of you, um, because I know many of you are, are regular listeners, but I would say that some of you are listening to this right now and that's the first time that you've ever heard that. Um, I talk about that in my my book that came out several years ago called Strangers Next Door. And so we've got to recognize that we often, if we don't, if we don't even know what's going on at all, we may have a glimpse of what's going on throughout the world, but in our backyard, oftentimes churches do not recognize the lostness is there. Number 11, challenge your people to go. Challenge your people to go to the nations across the street, across the continent, across the world, to go with their vocations, to go with their vocations. Not everyone has to uproot, pull up, and get rid of the passions of using their hands and their skill sets and their marketable degrees to make disciples of all nations. In fact, many of our people, they need to be challenged to go with their vocations, take jobs in other places, form teams, and go to other parts of the world and be in the marketplace, supporting themselves and their teams, modeling what it means to be a follower of Jesus and be in the marketplace among unbelievers and then among the new churches, uh, just like we see the Apostle Paul do at various times throughout his ministry. Not always, but at various times throughout his ministry. So challenge your people to go and to go taking their vocations with them. Number 12, assess your people for the task. Now, number 12, number 13. So number 12 is assess your people for the task. Number 13 is train your members for church planting. I recognize that for most of you that are listening to this, um, you're going you're gonna to need assistance with this. And so I want to encourage you 
to go to your denomination. I want to encourage you to go to your network. I want you to encourage you to check out a mission agency that can be of assistance to you in this process when it comes to assessing your people and training your people for apostolic-type work before, before they leave your local congregation to then go wherever they're going. In other words, um, get some help in this process here and now. And if a group says, well, we will not work with you unless you send all of your members our direction, then move on down the line and find someone else that will work with you. We've got to recognize that the primary means, the primary, not the only means, but the primary means by which God has worked throughout history to reach the nations has been through the local expressions of his universal body. And so if there are organizations and groups that are out there that will not work with you in your church, but would rather tell you in your church that um, you all just need to step aside, sit down, they will take over, uh, you can get out of the way, then just tell them, no, thank you, and move on down the line. Because there are other groups out there that see the significance of the local church, the primary means by which God is raising up and sending out apostolic teams, yes, I said that, through the local church, um, find them. They're out there. They will work with you. They will help you in the process of assessing your people for the task and equipping them for church planting activities in North America and throughout the world. Now, I will say this. Here's a disclaimer. There are many groups out there, um, most of them in North America, most of them not out, not, not focused out, excuse me, most of them focused on North America, uh, definitely not those that are focused on outside of North America, but there are many groups that are out there that they are operating primarily from a pastoral missiology, a pastoral imagination, not, not an apostolic imagination. And because of that, uh, there are some groups that are not going to be as helpful to you. And so I would encourage you, particularly if you're in a North American context, uh, for you and your local church to contact those that are primarily uh, operating outside of North America and ask for guidance on how you can contextualize some assessing and training that they're doing into a North American context if, if the teams that you're trying to send out are into a North American context. There are groups out there in North America that are doing a great job when it comes to assessing and equipping and training others. They're out there, but they are few and far in number, and they're distant from one another, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but those that are primarily working outside of North America, they, um, I think they have, uh, they're operating primarily from an apostolic imagination quite often, more so than not. So uh, I'll leave it with that. Hit number, I'll, let me hit number 14, wrap this thing up for you, because I know as a pastor you are busy, and uh, I'm already pushing the 30 minutes in this uh, podcast. And so number 14, last but not least, commission, send, and partner the, with the teams that you are sending out. So recognize that when you commission and send out those beyond your local congregation, they are still members of your church. Who is going to care for them? Who's going to shepherd them? Where will they get their member care, their pastoral care? Where will they find partners? Your local church is to be that body for them. Just think about what Paul and Barnabas did on that first missionary journey in Acts 14. Verse 27, it says that they came back to Antioch and they told about what God was doing among the nations to the local church. Will you and your church be that group for those that you're training, assessing, and sending out? Don't, don't assume that just because they get on the plane that 
you have handed them, handed them off to someone else. See them as a member of your body. See them as an extension of your local church's ministry and be connected to them even in the days to come, whether they are down the street, somewhere else in the continent, or across the world. So pastors, here's what I'll leave you with. Some questions to consider. What are the three greatest challenges preventing your church from developing an apostolic imagination? What are the three greatest challenges preventing your church from developing an apostolic imagination? If you and your church's leaders need assistance in becoming better prepared to equip, assess, and care for your teams, who are some individuals and organizations that you're going to contact this year to provide some assistance? I want you to think about those as well. Think about this question. What three suggestions made in this podcast will you commit to work on over the next 30 days? And then finally, what will you commit to do throughout the next year to lead your church toward an apostolic approach to ministry? Pastors, thanks so much for giving of your time, for checking out this podcast today. And for those of you that are, have been listening that are not pastors, maybe you know some pastors in your circles of influence that need to hear this. And so let me encourage you to pass this along to them as well. As always, thank you so much uh, for being a part of listening to Strike the Match. Take care. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Penn. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.